You, you are God. Do we believe that? I'm not hearing much response. Because the passage of Scripture I'm getting ready to read, if you don't believe he is God, you're not going to believe anything I'm getting ready to read to you. But if he is God and he is our creator, we need to act according to what he has done and according to his word. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us when we take you off the throne and try and place ourselves there. Forgive us, Father, when we do not acknowledge that we are responsible to you in all that we do, in every relationship that we have. Thank you, Father, that the word tells us, your word tells us that we are your creation and that you love each and every one of us so much that in creating us, you had a purpose and plan for our life. Lord God, I pray that you would speak your word and your truth through me. I pray that the word of God would be preached in power and in love. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us all open ears and hearts and minds to hear about this first marriage. Oh God, please again be in our midst. And may we let you be God not only in these moments, but throughout the years of our life. Thank you that one day we'll see you in person and we'll know that you are God. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Follow with me, and I hope that you've not stopped bringing your Bibles because we have the scripture on the overhead, because I hope that your Bible is something that you, you read and something that you don't mind making notes in, because, you know, I'm be honest with you folks, I, I'll be reading my Bible and see where some notes have been made, and I think, well, why did I underline that verse? Why did I highlight that verse? Why did I make those notes? And, and over a period of time, it will all come back the importance of the moment that I first saw something in the Word of God. So, again, I ask that you would bring your copy of the Scripture and you would read and follow. But look at it on the screen if you don't have your copy. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Then the Lord God said... I want to point something out. Isn't it amazing that in this passage of Scripture, at least three times, God is going to be described as the Lord God? And again, this is a very special designation for God. It is, it is trying to point out that he is the God above all gods. And this is a part of the creation account. So the writer wants us to understand we're talking about not a God that's made by man or with human hands or by the human mind, but it is the Lord God who is the God above all who created the heavens and the earth. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone for I will make for him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, but for the man there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. 
And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, and folks, I think this is just so very unique, and I'm not saying this in a way to, to, to be funny or anything like that, but when Adam looks at Eve, what does he do? He breaks out into poetry. I want to ask you something. Have you ever made up a rhyme or a, poet, a poem to your spouse? Not a lot of response on that one either. That's... <laughs> <laughs> This is, not, this is not in the notes. The last poetry I, I quoted to Debbie, you're rubber, I'm, glue, I'm, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say to me bounces off and sticks to you. And it was in a, it was in a moment of argument and protest. But look, <laughs> Adam in verse 23 breaks out into poetry. And listen to what he says. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, he's saying, God, you can't improve. This is exactly what I was hoping you were going to send me. Thank you, Lord. Do you sense that in these words? It's not a complaint. It's not a man thinking, well, I'm better than she is because I was created first. But he is thanking God for the creation of his wife, who is to be a, a helper fit for him. Listen to verse 24. Therefore, man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. As I was studying and preparing, I, I thought about, and again, I'm not trying to be funny. You know, this has got to be the first marriage announcement and wedding invitation in the Bible. Now, I know there weren't any other human beings, but I, I was just sitting and imagining if God had sent out a wedding announcement, how would he have fixed it? And, and, and again, for whatever this is worth, this is what I thought that maybe God might have put down on the announcement, okay? Wedding announcement. God the Creator announces the joining together of his two children, Eve and Adam, in the holy estate of marriage. Where did it happen? The Garden of Eden. When did it happen? At creation. And who was the officiating preacher? It was God. And folks, you see that little last line, you're invited to read, remember, and know. Folks, Study about what God was doing here. What was God's intentions? And folks, it's something that I hope that you'll hear if you don't hear anything else this morning. You will hear that when God created not only the world, when he created man and woman, he had a purpose and a plan for them. And folks, that is true of us today. And until we come in to knowledge of that plan and purpose that God has for our life, whether it is in marriage or in occupation or in family relations, until we come to understand that purpose and plan for our life, our lives are not whole. And, and again, I hope you'll understand that. I hope as we look at the first marriage in the Bible, in the Word of God, since when God created all that he created, you and I will understand that this God is behind the scene and he's got a purpose and plan. 
Now, before I go any farther, I want to share something with you. Once again, I would like to share the inspirations of sermons with you. I do pray and ask God to lead me. I promise you that. And folks, I'm not whining and saying this, but since I've been here so long, it gets harder and harder to feel like I'm telling you something new or something that I haven't said to you before and something that you need to hear. And I can truthfully tell you that I don't ask God to lead me to sermons on subjects that will be easy for me to preach on. Now, some sermons are easier than others, and this Sunday and the next Sunday is going to be tough in many ways. And I don't simply ask God to give me sermons that will be interesting so that I will not bore you. And, and I'll be honest with you, I know some of my sermons are duds, I'm sure. I hope and pray, though, that you're not coming to hear me. You're coming to hear from the Word of God and the Spirit of God and allow God the freedom to speak to your heart. And folks, so often, and I, I, again, I'm talking to myself here, the problem is not with God. God's got something to say, but the problem is, are we willing to listen to it? And one of the ways that God speaks is through His Word. And folks, you and I must understand that to come and hear the Word of God, God wants to do a number of things. First of all, He wants to bring us face to face with who His Son is. And regardless if the message is about marriage or family or whatever it's about, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God wants you to know His Son. And that's what coming together as a church is all about. But after we come to know the Lord as our Savior, He wants to strengthen our walk with Him and God wants us to understand the plans that he has for our individual lives. And let me tell you something. God doesn't just save us and then say, go your way for another 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And whenever it comes time for you to die, I'm going to call you. You're going to come to heaven and be with me. God has got a purpose and a plan for us. And folks, something that we as Christian parents need to help our children come to grips with is that if we surrender our hearts as young people to Christ, or as old people for that matter, that God has got a plan for our lives. Not only for our lives, but also for this church. And so, folks, I pray that God is going to speak through me today and next Sunday about this first marriage. As I begin to ask God about what I should begin preaching on close to Mother's Day, God laid on my heart the biblical concept and understanding of marriage. And I am truly convicted that all spiritual wisdom and knowledge comes, number one, from knowing Christ as our per personal Savior, and number two, from reverently and diligently seeking God through his written word, the Bible. And folks, it burdens me that in our day, we're turning aside from the Bible. Now, we'll fight you over the Bible. If somebody says the Bible's not true, now we're ready to fight, aren't we, Southern Baptist? But on a day-to-day, -day, on a week-to-week -week basis, how much time do we spend in the Word of God inquiring about what He wants us to know about His will and plan for our life? And I'm not here to browbeat you about not studying the Bible. Folks, I'm trying to say do not let Satan blind us to all the truths that are written in this Word right here for us. And it's not only about getting saved. It's not only about being a church, but it is living on a day-to-day -day basis. Young people, it's about finding that person who will be your mate in life, the one that God has prepared for you. 
It is to we who are married teaching us and training us so that we can be a Christian husband and a Christian wife. It is about training us to be Christian parents and Christian grandparents. Do you get the picture? God has spoken through his word and continues to do that if we'll simply give him time to speak through his word to us. And what I'm going to ask you to do this coming week is read these first two chapters of Genesis and understand again that God has a purpose and plan for our lives. And let me tell you the purpose, what these messages are intended for. And folks, I want to tell you these messages are intended for everyone. And you might say, well, look, preachers just pe- preaching to people in, that are married. And folks, I want to tell you, if you're married, I want to speak to you whether you've been married for a few months or many years. Whether you're at the beginning stage of your marriage or at the last stage of your life and marriage. You see, folks, we have a God who wants to be involved in every stage of our lives and every stage of our marriage. And I want to speak to the single folks, too. If you're anticipating marriage and anticipating love, folks, don't leave God out. You know, one of the biggest tragedies in life is we leave God out until we get up on a crisis. So often people get married, and and again, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to state facts that we need to deal with. So often people do not want premarital counseling, and so they just rush into marriage, and they think everything's going to be fine because they love each other. And folks, love is one of the most important basis of marriage, but the most important basis of marriage is having Jesus Christ as the foundation of your marriage. And you're already at a disadvantage if you begin marriage without Christ. And folks, so often we don't, we don't invite Jesus into our marriage until it's about to crash and burn. So young people, these messages are also for you. And I want to say to those that have been divorced, that are widows or widowers, perhaps you're contemplating getting married again. These messages are for you as you seek God's will and plan. And older children and teen, some of you might say, well, they can't understand marriage and they don't need to hear sermons about marriage. But folks, do you and I realize that we're living in a world that is pressuring preteens and teens to become sexually active And we must begin to point out the biblical model and instructions for God's design and plan for his creation. Ella shocked the daylights out of me last night. She looked at her mama and she said, I want to get married. She's only two and a half years old. Well, where did she get that from? I don't know. And I know that as a child, she can't comprehend that. But folks, we need to begin to tell our children God loves them and God has a plan and purpose for their life. Well, folks, if that is true, where do we begin? Where does God begin to instruct us about human life, sexuality, and marriage? And it's going to shock you, isn't it? He begins the beginning of the book about these three things about life itself, about human sexuality, and about marriage. Let me ask you something. Don't say this out, give your answer out loud, but how do you and I feel about Genesis 1 and 2? Now, let's be honest. How do we feel? When's the last time we read it? When's the last time we said, God, teach me the truth out of your word? Well, let me tell you something. Satan is trying to tell our world that Genesis 1 and 2 is a lie. 
It's a fabricated story manufactured by religious folks who don't want anyone to have fun or do their own thing and be in control of their lives. And many say that Genesis 1 and 2 is not the word of God, that God is not the creator. He is not our creator. And folks, I want to ask you a question. And I'm not a scientist, okay? And I understand, I'm not, okay? I'm not really a, a real smart fella to begin with. But folks, are you and I, is our creation, our lives, a result of evolution or some cosmic explosion or some happenstance in the universe are? Were we created by an almighty, all-powerful, eternal God? Genesis 1 and 2 says that we are the direct creation of the almighty, all-powerful, eternal God. And I'm finding something out, I believe, about our era. Our view of creation will influence and determine our view of marriage and many issues of life. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Our view of creation will influence and distinguish our view of marriage. Has God prepared that special person for us? As a single person or someone thinking about getting married again, are you seeking the will of God for the person that he has prepared for you? Because you see here in Genesis 2.20, and you cannot read this story without seeing it, God prepared Eve for Adam. God knew exactly what he needed. God knew that he needed a helper fit for him. Well, let me ask you something. Should we not seek God's will in marriage? Secondly, is marriage God's design for the sexual union of a man and of a woman? And folks, I want to tell you something. I'm getting ready to say something that's not hate speech, but said out of love, out of the Word of God. Marriage, according to the Word of God, is not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but between a man and a woman. God said that. That's the way God created it. A third thing is sexual intimacy intended by God for a man and his wife only. Is sexual intimacy only in the context of marriage? Is abstinence God's command until marriage? And folks, the answer to that according to the word of God is yes. Is sexual intimacy allowed outside of marriage? And folks, the answer again from the word of God is no. This is the word of God. This is the will of God for our lives. And folks, what about abortion? Is that okay in the eyes of the creator God who is the giver of life? And you might think, well, this morning, Herbert's really just want to make everybody mad. No, I'm not. Folks, do you realize what we're dealing with in our society on May the 5th, 2013? Right now, more and more states are caving to the belief that marriage can be between two men and two women. Now, folks, again, I'm not trying to give hate speech. I'm trying to point out what God says from the very beginning. 
And folks, right now, sexual immorality is something that's happening even within the people in the church. Years ago, I had a young man to come into my study and said, does the Bible teach that you're not supposed to have sex till you get married? And I thought, good heavens, what have we been teaching our young people as they grow up in the church? Is it okay? Does anything go? Folks, it hurts God because God sees us hurting ourselves. I want to remind you that all of us are sinners, including myself, so I'm not standing in judgment of anybody here. And folks, what about abortion? And I understand, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not trying to stick my head in the sand, but I've just got about got fed up with the news. But I understand this past week that it was, it's okay now that 15-year-olds can go and get the, the day-after pill the, for for abortion purposes. What are we teaching our young people? We're teaching them, go ahead and have sex. Give condoms out at school in the name of safe sex. Folks, we've got to take a stand one point, one place or another. We must get back to the Word of God. And I believe if we go back to the creation account, it will influence our view of marriage and sexuality and life itself. So let's get back to Genesis. Genesis 1, listen to verse 26, 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now, folks, listen to what Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us. And these are notes out of the Full Life Study Bible. I want you to know where these come from. Number one, both man and woman were a special creation of God, not a product of evolution. Listen again to verse 27, Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And folks, let me point out two other verses. And these are the words of the Lord in Matthew 19:4 and Mark 10:6. And I'll read each one of these. Jesus is being questioned about divorce, okay? And in the context of that passage, this is what Jesus says. Matthew 19, 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? Who does Jesus say created man and woman? God the Father. In Mark chapter 10, verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Again, folks, I think the Bible is rather clear. I think our Lord is rather clear that God created human beings. And folks, there's something else that those verses in Genesis 1 say. Man and woman were both created in the image and likeness of God. And on the basis of that image, they could respond to and have fellowship with God. And folks... 
It is absolutely amazing that so often we miss this. One of the reasons God made us the way that he did is so that we could respond to him and have fellowship with him. And as you and I read Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve fell into sin, that relationship was broken between them and God. But in Genesis 1 and 2, man and woman possessed a moral likeness of God. Now, again, folks, please hang with me, okay? Because I'm not trying to make this too far out there, okay? In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were sinless. They were holy. They possessed wisdom. They had a heart of love, and they had the will to do right. They lived in personal fellowship with God that involved obeying God and an intimate communion with him. But when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, their moral likeness to God was corrupted. Now, again, I want to point something out. Folks, the whole word of God is about man being in right relationship with God. When God created Adam and Eve, they are in right relationship with him. God came to them, the early part of Genesis 3, God came to them in fellowship with them in the Garden of Eden. But because they were made with the ability to make choices, in Genesis chapter 3, where Satan tempts them to rebel against God's authority in their life, they fell into sin and they lost the image of God. And folks... That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 is such an important verse. And let me read this to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, what's that about? Folks, Adam and Eve originally were sinless in right relationship with God. When they sinned and rebelled against God, they corrupted the image of Christ in them. And something had to happen to transform them back into the image of God. What happened? Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, making us a new person in him. That's a whole other sermon. And you might be saying, what's this got to do with marriage? Just hang on, okay? We've got to get through all of this, all right? Adam and Eve were created personal beings with spirit, mind, emotions, self-consciousness, and power of choice. Now, let me tell you what that means, okay? And this is from a note from Warren Wiersbe. God not only gave us personalities, minds to think with, emotions to feel with, and wills for making decisions, he also gave us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and to worship him. And folks, here's something you and I need to understand. We're created in such a way that we can know God just as close as we know our best friend if we desire that relationship with him. You see, the problem's not with God. The problem's not that God is so far out yonder in heaven or he's so far above us that we can't conceive of him. The problem is our hearts are so rebellious against God that so often we don't want to have anything to do with him, especially if he put, puts moral and spiritual demands upon us. I don't expect an amen from that because that's really the truth about all of us, including me, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And, and my biggest trouble is with Herbert Brown, not with somebody else. My biggest problem is with me. Let me get back on track. God gave to human beings the image in which he was to appear visibly to them. Have you ever thought about this? You know, my granddaughter's going through that stage now of being afraid of, of things. 
And anything that makes her afraid, she calls it a monster. What if God came in all his holiness and appeared before us? And he does in several places in the Old Testament, doesn't he? And people become so afraid. But when God chose to represent himself so that we could know him, how does he do it? People come in human form. You remember what John 1.14 says? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. What does this have to do with marriage? Well, hang on, hang on, okay? Man and woman were made in the image of God. It does not mean that we become divine. We are created on a lower order and dependent upon God. But listen to this. This is Psalms 8, verse 5. Psalms 8, verse 5. You might want to mark this verse in your Bible. Yet thou hast made him little less than God and dost crown him with glory and honor. And then listen to this in Genesis 3:20. All human life is derived from God through Adam and Eve. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. Now, I know that people will say, your preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. They've discovered all these fossils. Everything points out it couldn't have been one man, one woman. Folks, I'm telling you, I'm going to put my stock in the word of God, and I'm going to bank on the eternal almighty God for his instructions, okay? But, folks, with all this said, can we believe Genesis 1 and 2? And may I personally share with you why I believe Genesis 1 and 2 is the word of God. It is the truth. And I want to mention four reasons. First of all, our lives, our existence are not an accident, a quirk of faith. We are created by a loving God who has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And I believe that when God creates each one of us, he has a plan and purpose for our life. I believe that. Folks, if we didn't believe that, what hope would we have of anything? If I didn't believe that there was a loving God who was going to cradle me from my birth to my death and watch over me, what reason would there be for existence? Secondly, and this is not an arrogant statement but a testimony, I have met the Creator through meeting His Son. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. I believe that Jesus became a man to reveal God to us that we've read in John 1.14. Jesus left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day. Now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And praise God, he's coming back again. Sometimes I believe soon. And sometimes I wish that he would come back soon. And folks, I want to point something out. Jesus was with the Father at creation. Please, again, this is either going to be a powerful message this morning, or you say, that man, I thought he was going to talk about marriage, but he never got to marriage. We're going to get to marriage. Okay, I promise. Jesus was with the Father at creation. Listen to this, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, look at verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. Listen to what Paul says. He, now speaking of God the Father, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
Verse 14, speaking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created. Now look at that. In him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth are in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And folks, listen to John 10:30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. To know Jesus, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to understand Jesus is to know, see, hear, and understand the Father, our creator. Please again, hang with me. When God speaks, something happens. Listen to this. Psalms 33, 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke. Underscore that. He spoke. It came to be. He commanded. It stood forth. Listen to Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 and 19. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, he is God. Now, again, here's a prophet under the inspiration of God. He created the heavens and the earth. He is God who formed the earth, made it. He established it. He did not create it in chaos. He formed it, be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, if you've got your Bible, oh, excuse me, I did not speak in secret. Go ahead, Steve. In the land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in chaos. I am the Lord. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Y'all can tell I'm running out of time, but I want to point some things out. God reveals his power by creating everything by merely speaking the word. Now, let me ask you something. What can you and I create by simply speaking. You know, every time I think I'm in authority at home, and I think that just because I say something, everybody is going to bow and obey, it doesn't happen. If you got a three-year-old granddaughter and you tell her to do something, and she doesn't do it, it doesn't mean that you don't have authority. It just means you got a three-year-old granddaughter, all right? But when God speaks, things happen. And if you've got your Bible with you, turn back to Genesis chapter 1, and let me point something out. Eight times God speaks and things happen. Listen to this. Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. Verse 20, and God said. Verse 24, and God said. In verse 26, then God said. And folks, as you read that first chapter, every time God says something, it happens. And the first time in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and light be. That's what it says in Hebrew. All God had to say was, let it be. And it happened. Can we believe Genesis 1 and 2? Can we believe that God has the power to speak and something happens? Well, let me get you to compare something. When Jesus spoke, things happened. And let me just give you a couple of, of illustrations, okay? 
in Luke chapter 7, verse 7, a centurion has sent servants to Jesus saying, would you come and heal one of my servants? And as Jesus goes to this man's house, he gives word, you don't even have to come, just say the word and it will be done. And this Jesus speaks and the servant is healed. How about Luke chapter 7, verse 14? Let me get you, Steve. I'm sorry. I should have got you to bump. Luke 7, 7. But say the word and let thy servant be healed. In Luke chapter 7, verse 14, as Jesus is going into the city of Nain, they're carrying a dead man's body out. Have I got the wrong Luke 7, 14? Have I got the wrong? Go to the next slide, Steve. Yeah, I've got the wrong verse, I bet. Go to the next slide. Okay. In Mark 5, 8, uh, there's a man who is possessed with legions of demons. And Jesus says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and the demons come out. You know the story, the, the demons are cast into the pigs, and they run down into the ocean. How about in John chapter 11, verse 43, when Jesus goes out to Lazarus' graveside, and he says three words. What does he say? Lazarus, come out, and he does. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, the disciples are on the boat, and they're on the sea. Jesus is falling asleep, and they become so afraid, they think the boat is going to capsize. They awoke Jesus, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Folks, what are we trying to say? There's no other God except the Lord. There's no other God like him. Listen to Isaiah 40, verses 18, 25, and 28. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare him? To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Here you go, Steve, to the next one. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now, I'm just about finished, okay? Why get to this point? What does this have to do with marriage? Genesis 1 and 2 not only tells us about God's work of creation, but Genesis 1 and 2 tells us God's plan for his creation. And here's where I want to close this morning. I want to just ask you to meditate upon this. Genesis 1 and 2 tells us about many first. Just let your mind wander and ponder, as they say. Genesis 1 and 2. The first sunrise and the first sunset. The first moonrise, the first moonset. The first night with the starry heavens. The first wind, the first breeze that blew. Can you see it? The first butterfly that came fluttering by. The first song of a bird. We take all these things for granted, don't we? The first gobble of a wild turkey. Amen. The first crappie or bass or brim or flounder that f swam along in the ocean waiting for somebody to come and catch him. The first buzz of a bee or a mosquito, as Ella says. And on we could, we could go. But folks, let me point something out, and this is where we're going to stop. When you get to Genesis chapter 2, God begins to do some other first. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the first Sabbath where God rests. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 14, the first home 
verses 16 and 17, the first covenant, where God says, if you do right, I'll bless you, but if you do wrong and sin, you'll bring judgment upon yourself. And then in chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, the first marriage. Folks, here's what I'm trying to say. God had a purpose. God had a purpose for the marriage of Adam and Eve. God's got a purpose for you. If you're married, God's got a purpose for your marriage. If you're single, God's got a purpose for your life, and there's nothing wrong with being single all of your life if that's God's will, but if you're looking for a spouse, don't leave God out. If you're thinking about getting married again, don't leave God out. And young people, older children, give your heart and your life to God. Don't make the mistake of trying to leave him out. Don't mask your rebellion by saying, God, I can handle this one myself. Don't listen to the world, but listen to the word and turn yourself to him. Thank you all for letting me say all of this this morning. And I just pray that God's going to be in all of this and he'll speak to our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, I'm trusting you, not my own abilities, to make something clear and put a sermon together. I'm trusting you, Father, to take your word and use your spirit to impress upon every one of our hearts that you created us and that you have a purpose and plan for our lives. God, this morning, I pray that whatever the needs of homes and marriages and lives are, that you'll speak and meet those needs. And just as Adam and Eve could depend upon you to care for them and to bless them and keep them in your care and even to forgive them of their sins, I pray, Father, that we would learn to trust you too. And help us, Father, to know you because we willingly and voluntarily come before you and say, Lord, reveal yourself to us. I pray that if there are those here that do not yet know your Savior, Father, that they would. And I pray, Father, for we who are Christians, oh God, help us that day by day we will make the decision to walk hand in hand with you. And Lord, today I pray that if there's any decision that needs to be made, that, Father, you would lead people to make those decisions that would honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.